0: Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, it's Isaac here, hope you're all well. You know, God has given every person a mouth, and with this mouth, we eat, but we also speak. And if we're anything like our God and we are, then our words have power. not power like you know God's words, but power in the sense that they can have a powerful influence, you know either for the good or bad. This week we talk about Christian speech and even get into the issue of swearing. Here's our conversation with Brett Landry. With me today is Pastor Brett Landry. He pastors a church in Vancouver, BC called Christ City Church. It's great to have you with us this
1: week, Brett. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, so, firstly, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe how'd you come to faith? What's it like, kind of pastoring this church in Vancouver? Yeah, just let us know a little about who you are.
1: Sure. Um, I grew up in Alberta. Grew up in a non-Christian home, and so I, I had not heard the gospel until I was you know, close to 20, actually, the first time I really heard a cohesive uh, idea about who Jesus was. I mean, everybody in the area that I grew up at certainly knew what the church was, but we didn't really have any idea who Jesus was. And so, uh, yeah, I was I was almost 20 years old when I came to faith. Came through some reasonably radical circumstances and immediately felt a call toward pastoral ministry. And so began training for that. I started Bible college actually about six weeks after I came to Christ, which I, I wouldn't recommend to anyone. It's not the, it's not the maybe the best uh, way to jump into things, but that's what I did. And so uh, that, was in, uh, that was in July of 2001. Actually, probably it was the first week of July, 2001, I came to know the Lord and uh, started Bible college that September and have been in, in vocational Christian ministry now full time for about 12 years and, and previous to that part-time and in internships and things like that in my studies.
0: That's awesome, that's so good. Before we address specific points, Brett, about our conversation, I just kind of want to ask you to sort of just give a general theology of Christian speech. And I was just sort of thinking of this idea that, you know, here's a group of Christians from a whole bunch of different ages who've just been saved, and perhaps they're in this membership class at your church, and you have this, you know, this hour on Christian speech, and maybe you wouldn't even have a whole class on that. I'm not sure. But what what would be some of the basic kind of instructions or teachings? You would say to them, "What are maybe some scriptures you would point to? Things like that." So, yeah, just take some time and kind of flesh this out. What would what would a theology of Christian speech look like?
1: Well, I think it's a great question. Uh, I think it's a great question uh, given the day and age that we live now, where we have uh, all different forms of communication. Uh, you know, it's not just a a verbal speech culture that we live in, but we have obviously a lot of literature. But then we have the digital mediums that we all communicate through as well, and so. I think, yeah, it becomes a, a very, uh, becomes a large conversation, actually, when you start to think about the implications of Christian speech. Uh, if I was, if, so your situation, if I was given the opportunity to speak to a room full of people from all different ages, all different backgrounds, maybe just coming to know the Lord or, or maybe newer Christians, and I was going to lay out an hour of this, uh, I would probably start in Genesis chapter one, uh, which is where I, I like to start most things, but I would probably start Genesis chapter 1. I'd go to verse 3. The third verse of the Bible says, uh, and God said. And I, I think that's an important thing for us to note, that we serve a God who speaks. And because he is a communicative God, it actually sets the parameters of what it means to be created in his image, that we are people who speak and communicate. And so I would note that. I, would, I think I would begin there. I would move to Genesis 3. And I would show the implications of the fact that Satan's aim with regard to Adam and Eve and his communication with Eve, it was deconstructionist in the sense that he said, did God actually say? And so we have this God who we serve, who creates all things through his words. And then we have the enemy who is actually trying to undermine the truth of God's word and his speech and what he's told Adam and Eve as his creation, Uh, By questioning that, and so I think that that forms a a beginning conversation for us talking about Christian speech and the importance of the words that we use. You know, if you're going to move through the scriptures, you've got Genesis 11, where you've got the Tower of Babel. You've got this idea that their greatness and the desire of them to build themselves a, a tower of greatness to reach the heavens. You've got this thing happening where God comes and confuses their speech, and so now there's actually more complicated system in play when you start talking about stuff. So I think I'd begin there, and then I would I would move through into probably you could really go anywhere in the scriptures to find good examples of these things. But when you start to build an understanding, you're probably if I had an hour, I'm probably going to end up with some some text from Ephesians, and I'm probably going to end up with some text from James. I'm going to move into the, you know, James chapter three is talking about the importance of the tongue and taming the tongue, and, and how we utilize our speech. and I, I'd probably look at some proverbs. Uh, you've got Proverbs eighteen twenty one talks about how there's the power of life and death in the tongue. And the fact is, we are communicative people, and so the way that we communicate uh, says something about what we believe.
0: Yeah, that's so good. So I guess at the end of this hour-long class, if I'm a new Christian, would I go away from that class with this really heavy kind of weight on me thinking, oh my goodness, my words really, really, really matter? Or is it just going to be like, oh, okay, it's important, but I can still kind of go along with you know, what I usually do? What would be the kind of depth of weight you'd put to this?
1: Yeah, I think I would try and not, I try never to put a yoke on a person uh, in, in the way that I teach or the way that I'm sharing the scriptures with someone that there's a heavy yoke, a burden. But what I would want them to see is that the speech they have is actually a fruit of the changed life that they have. And so the the speech that they are utilizing is a picture of the changed heart, uh, w- which is actually like Ephesians chapter four, where you're looking at the conversation, This the, the context of the conversation, sort of verses 17 to 32 is this idea that there's a new life in Christ. And right in the midst of all of that, you've got verse 29 that says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So, I think it's actually a fruit of the way that Christ has redeemed us and renewed our hearts, the way the Holy Spirit has made us new, and that we have come to a place of realizing that the way we live our lives needs to be in line with the scripture. And so our speech should change. I think that's the fruit of a changed life.
0: Yeah, that that's really good. And I even think about, you know, Jesus talking about, you know, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, it what comes it's what comes out. Um and if you do have that changed heart, then you're gonna to start to see evidence of that from what comes out of your mouth. So I totally, it totally makes sense, I get that completely. Brett, from my, from my perspective a little bit, um it just kind of seems that this sort of unhealthy Christian speech is sort of lower on this, you know, quote unquote, sin scale uh, that we can sometimes think of uh, subconsciously. And maybe I just kind of want to ask you, why do we sort of lower, you know, even taking the Lord's name in vain, which is, again, it's a heart issue, but still it's, it's coming out of the mouth. Why is that kind of lower on this sort of sin scale than, you know, adultery or something like that? So, yeah, I'm just kind of interested. Why do we kind of naturally think that it's okay to kind of say something or gossip a little bit or say, you know have bad Christian speech?
1: Well, I think I would want to define bad Christian speech, and I would want to know what it is that we mean when we say that, because when it comes down to it, I think, you know, in my, my reading of Scripture in this, is it's the way that we utilize words at times more than the words that we utilize. So you can have different sets of words that are being used, but the the they can be given with a real... Angle of blessing and a posture of humility, or they can come with sort of vitriol and pride. And if you looked at the words on a piece of paper, they might actually be similar words, but you can't tell the tone and intonation of them. And so I think all of that plays into it. But I, so I mean, to get back to the original question, I think of what you're asking, like why, why do we not at times care as much about this? I think that it's because we can be accustomed to cultural ideologies around these type of things, too. Cultural, maybe not ideologies, maybe not the right word, but but cultural uh, implementation of our language. And so, there's certain places where certain words can be used and certain tones can be used. I mean, for for example, before I came to Christ, I worked in the oil field for a year after high school, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I mean, I, I would never go home and sit in my mother's kitchen and speak with the, with her, the way that I would speak with guys on my crew on a drilling rig. You know what I mean? There's, there's certain places. And I think culturally speaking, we all know that. Um, I I actually, growing up, I did not know that my dad swore, right? Like it's one of those things. And then you see him around his, the guys that he works with. And all of a sudden you hear some language come up and you go, boy, like I think I might have got a cuff in the back of the head if I spoke like that, but, but there's something else going on there. And of course, growing up in a home that they weren't followers of Jesus, and so there was no real ethic behind their language. But I know there were certain words I was allowed to use and certain words I wasn't allowed to use. And I think that we import that into our lives in the church as well. And at times, we triage things. So we look at somebody's life and we go, okay, well, you, you're currently you know sleeping with your girlfriend have a pornography addiction and I think I heard you cuss right like I'm probably you know if I'm the triage nurse at the ER I'm gonna go like okay cool we'll throw a band-aid on one of those for a second and then we'll start working a little bit more intentionally here on on and, and that doesn't mean that it's right and that doesn't mean that it's right to neglect uh, holiness in that area but I do think there's times where we look at this and go that that's not probably the the um, the sum total of it and, and and I think when we talk about words, um, like, there's people who, who I know are part of our church, uh, who I know personally, and then I see them in their communication online and the way that they utilize words. And I think, boy, you need to not, you need to think about that. You, know, you, you, need, to, you need to take pause here and you're not saying anything quote unquote wrong. But the way that you're using words, I don't know that that's coming from a great heart. And so let's talk about that.
0: That's so good. Two two things I'll quickly say there is that, well, the first one, as you were first saying, I think you're just kind of getting to it at the end there too, that you know, it, it's not just the words you use, but it's the way you're using them. And I think of a lot of people that, you know, there's some people that text and email with a lot of, they're just able to get their emotions through, uh, or they're what they're intending to kind of how they're trying to say those words, it comes through well. But there's others that don't use any sort of uh, punctuation or, you know, exclamation marks. And it's really hard to tell <laughs> sometimes, what are you trying to say here? And are, are you saying this with a sarcastic tone, anger, different things like that? So that's huge. But the second thing is like, I really liked your uh, analogy of the kind of triage where you have these different issues. And maybe, maybe you'd agree with this or not, but it's, it's as if, you know, he cussed and okay, with these other, like sleeping with his girlfriend, things like that, the consequence of that cuss is not going to be as, uh, you know, detrimental as, you know, an ongoing sexual relationship.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think if, uh, if, you know, so for example, I was in a motorcycle accident a couple months ago. And it wasn't my fault. And my internal dialogue, my internal monologue about the person who caused me to crash my motorcycle and have an injury—it's uh, probably not something I would have utilized in the pulpit. And, and something that I had to just, you know, quickly say, "Lord, you know, forgive me for for speaking about someone created in Your image in that way." Though I didn't externalize those thoughts. I mean, they're certainly in the heart, and I think that's where we're getting at, isn't it? We're trying to get at this idea that there's something inside of us that, that can curse someone created in God's image and with that same tongue, bless the Lord, as, as it would say in James 3. So uh, it, there's, that, there's the motivation behind it, and, and God is the one who judges the motivation of our hearts. And so we, we get to judge the fruit of those things. And so, yeah, I think that there's probably less implications uh, in terms of our speech using particular words as there would be maybe in a sexual ethic or something like that, not being obeyed in terms of the way we would see that in Scripture. But I also think that the way we utilize words as followers of Jesus, it can be a massive detriment in terms of mission. So if we are if we are speaking about certain people, certain ways, in the hearing of those who follow Jesus and don't follow Jesus, I, I think that can be the—I think it can be part of why we come across a certain way as the Church. I mean, these are obviously—I'm I'm speaking in broad, sweeping generalities here, but you've got this idea— that if you're in your workplace on, on Monday morning, and you're speaking ill of somebody in a certain way, and those people that, that you work with know that you're a follower of Jesus, I think the speech that you utilize is going to say a lot about what you believe.
0: You know. If we want to obey, say something like you mentioned Ephesians 4.29 or uh, even just a few verses down in chapter 5, verse 4, which says, let there be no filthiness, nor you know foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So if we want to obey things like that, and if you're preaching that, um, I just want to put this hypothetical situation out there. How would you pastor someone who came to you and said, hey, Brett, like I, I love you know some of these brothers from church. We love going and hanging out together, uh, but I find that when we go out, You know, much of our conversation is really not about things that matter, and they just sort of tend towards, you know, silly jokes, sometimes crude, uh, bordering crudeness and immorality. Uh, And I laugh with them because, you know, I'd feel weird if I just ignored them, and I think they're kind of funny, but sadly when I get home I don't feel satisfied. What do I do? Um, should I attempt to change the sort of ethos of the group? How could I do that? Now that hypothetical situation, I'm not sure if you've even encountered that before, but if someone did come up to you, how what would you what would you say to them there?
1: Yeah, that's not a hypothetical to me. Um, I had somebody in my study uh, man like a month ago um, with almost almost uh, verbatim what you're saying. So so sitting down with someone who just says, hey, when we're together, it tends toward, yeah, being a little bit in- improper, perhaps it's a little bit of jesting uh, that then turns at times, some of the humor can turn you know, sexual or whatever you would want to say about that. Yeah, I think that you look at five four in Ephesians. I think when you look at that, that is the product of what's inside. And I think we need to pay attention to that. Now, here we are talking about the way that we use words, and it, it may be at times, seem it may seem like something that is of less importance to worry about. Uh, what I would want to say about this is that we are not moralists. Like, we are not sitting here saying that we should have this kind of speech, and if you use this kind of speech, then you're accepted in the family of God. But when you're accepted in the family of God, we actually do have a morality with that. And so there's going to be certain things that perhaps in your life before Christ or, or something that's maybe crept in, in your life with Christ, that they're not proper in keeping with scriptural teaching on the topic. So, I, so what I was able to say with this guy who comes in, sits down with me, goes, this was not the, the only agenda that he was talking about. He says, hey, this is something that goes on once in a while. What do you think? Uh, kind of like what you just did. Um, I, I just think you bring it up because if I'm silent on something, so if I'm part of that group and I'm, I'm silent on what's being spoken and it's bothering me, but my silence basically gives assent to it. My silence says, let's keep going with this. So whether I participate in it or not, if I'm silent in the midst of it, it's probably not going to change. If I say, hey, fellas, once in a while when we get together, um, I'm not actually comfortable with how we talk. And, and I don't, you know, like you said, I don't want to be the prude in the group or whatever. But I also I also, I want to honor the Lord with the way we speak. And uh, sometimes we just talk about nothing. And I just, I just am not that into that. Uh, or sometimes we talk about things that make me a bit uncomfortable in the way that we use words or, or whatever the topics may be. And uh, I just think we need to think about this. Now, I mean, depending on your group of friends, that conversation could go go one of two ways very quickly. But I don't think you're out of bounds to say something that you you said, something like changing the ethos of our group. I, I don't think that's, I don't think it's a problem. I think that most of us are passive in our efforts of discipleship, and we don't see those as opportunities to grow in the Lord. And so we may give up an opportunity there.
0: Yeah. And if that is the situation you're in there, you're kind of saying there's no easy way around it. You really do have to kind of be bold because I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm like, for a lot, that could very well be hard to to be that kind of guy to challenge, uh, challenge that. So there's no easy way.
1: And and in challenging somebody on any topic, in any situation, for any circumstance, you also need to be aware of how you're using your words. And so if you come across as judgmental and proud because you're actually judgmental and proud and you think that the way you speak is better, you know, it's sort of like, here's the speck in your eye that I'm trying to dig out Well, I'm missing the plank in my own. And so I think that, you know, that's maybe a reticence on a lot of people to, to step into a situation like that. But I think it's fine to just bring it up and go like, look, I've been part of these conversations, too. I'm just wondering if maybe we can change the way we talk.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. That, that's so good. I just remember years ago now, but there was a group of us and I, I, I think I was the instigator of it. I, I started to talk about some Christian preacher in a bad way, kind of to get some laughs. And another friend came right up and just instantly turned the conversation on its head to kind of say, Let, let's pray, let's, you know, kind of this thing. And I, I, the feeling I got, like I it, I didn't look at this guy that confronted me with anger or anything. In fact, I was a little bit humbled, which was really, really good. And I just, I, his, he was elevated in my mind. I was like, wow, he's actually has the strength to do that. So uh, I hope people hearing can be encouraged to know that you can you can do that. Uh, it's possible and it feels good to be in those kind of things. But Brett, as we're finishing up this conversation, I, I kind of, we can't really talk about Christian speech without talking about the big S word, swearing. And we're just scratching the surface, but I think we've actually got some of the major kind of points out, which you've talked about coming from the heart, things like that. And that obviously is going to filter into now as we talk about swearing. But I just want to ask you, what are a few things you'd say in terms of Christians in swearing? Because I th- there tends to be this group of Christians who believe swearing is acceptable. And like you said, when you had that motorcycle accident, you had these thoughts in your in your heart or in your kind of have this internal monologue going on in your mind, some Christians would say, well, be honest with yourself. Just be honest, like be raw, be authentic, that kind of thing. But then there's another group who say, no, it's, it's wrong, it's sinful. Whether you're, you know, a laborer out in carpentry and everyone swears, it's still wrong. Yeah. Anyways, h- h- how would you help someone think biblically and critically about swearing?
1: I, I don't know that I've ever been asked that question before, which is really interesting. I, obviously there's probably a, a bunch of differences in the way people would implement the understanding of it into their lives and how they change their speech. Yeah. I, I have a few thoughts on it for sure. I think one of the things I, I remember back probably like 10 years ago, I was working with a church in Alberta and uh, we had a youth speaker come and she was teaching this group of young women and she was from Australia and uh, she used a couple of words in her talk with the young women that would be considered swearing in Canada that are not considered swearing in Australia. And so right away, we have to sort of understand like we we are cultural people and language forms culture. And so whatever culture you're a part of, uh, different words will become normalized. And again, it's actually not the word that was used. It's the it's the way you use the words. And so she said something in the whole room, kind of took a big gasp of air, like, <gasps> well, like, you know, we can't say that. And, and she I mean, her her response to them is, oh, calm down. You know what I mean. And and, uh, so part of it is she probably should have understood our culture a little bit better before using a word that that group of young women would gasp at. On the other hand, we have to recognize that words in the English language are used all over the world in different ways. So I think there are situations where, let me say it like this. If I wanted to tear a strip off of somebody and I wanted to do it in an ungodly, loud, almost abusive manner. I could do that without utilizing any cuss words. Or I could be sitting around hanging out with some friends and use something that somebody might think is a cuss word and it's actually it's, it's sort of neutral, it's not going to tear anyone down. Uh, it's not going to maybe build anyone up. What I want to do is I want to think about the words I use and and are they building people up? Are am I speaking truth in love? Are my words a means of grace and a means of blessing? always grounded and pointing toward the truth, or are my words being used to tear down? I think that that matters. Now, if we produce a list of words that are not allowed to be used in our Christian vernacular here in Vancouver, part of my church, I, you know, that type of moralism scares me a little bit because we're adding lists of things. Now, I also want to be faithful to scripture. There's certain things that a Christian probably shouldn't say. So yeah, maybe th- I, I'm trying not to sit on a fence with this, but I'm not trying to, to overreact one direction or the other. There, there would be people who I know who I think are some of the godliest people I know who would occasionally drop uh, an unsavory word into a conversation that is either meant for humor or is just actually part of something that they would be talking about. But there's, there's no vitriol behind it. There's no pride behind it. There's no abusive sense of whatever behind it. Uh, it's maybe used for emphasis and you know for me i'm i'm probably not going to call them on that now if they start speaking in a way that is degrading to somebody who's created in the image of god whether that be male or female whether that's language that's just tearing down or like you said in your instance of uh, of kind of ripping on another preacher uh, yeah i think those are the instances we want to step in and go hey where is your heart at with this
0: That's really helpful, Brett. I appreciate that. And I guess you say something in there saying that, you know, we need to be speaking in such a way that uplifts, you know, and doesn't tear down. And as I hear that too, just one more question. The last one, I know we're a little bit over time here, but for someone hearing that saying, okay, everything I say needs to uplift, that can almost kind of seem a little overwhelming. (laughs) Um, And I know you don't mean that before we say every word, we have to like pray about it and be like, okay, I'm, you know, ordering my coffee at Starbucks and I have to like pray about the way that I ask for it or something like that. But when you say that everything we need to do is uplifting, how would you kind of pastorally kind of apply that to someone so they don't get overwhelmed thinking about everything they say?
1: Yeah, I'm certainly not saying that everything needs to be uplifting. But what I am saying is that we need to be building each other up in truth. And so my wife is, if you talk about five love languages of whatever that guy that wrote the book about the love languages, she is a words of affirmation person. Okay, I am not naturally a words of affirmation person. Uh, I do not naturally gravitate towards saying really affirming things to everyone. In fact, staff... Uh, at our church this has become a joke among them because it, they're sort of saying if brett doesn't say anything to you that means things are going really really well he'll just <laughs> let you know if something's gone wrong and and so i want to correct that in my own self i don't want to just be the guy who who sees the 2% of the problems and only speaks to that i want to encourage and all those things too but i'm not naturally an encourager so when i'm ordering my coffee at starbucks i'm not the guy who's like hey you know, your hair looks really great today, and I just hope you're having a great day. I'm not that person. I'm saying building one another up in truth. And so the words that we utilize, um, no, they don't always have to be—I don't think they always have to be sweet in that sense of, of what maybe would be considered uh, you know, kind. I think when we're looking at the way that our language maybe should be used, we look at Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders— making the best use of the time. And then it says in verse six, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to, how you ought to answer each person. And I think our speech should be seasoned in that way where people understand the way we're using our words is a product of what we believe. But I also, I think we would be wrong to skip over some of the things that Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, he called them like hypocrites and he called them like desecrators of monuments or something like that. I mean, he he called them a, a brood of vipers at one point. So he he spoke truth to them. That wasn't like in a nice flowery way. I certainly am not meaning that. I'm meaning, are you speaking the truth in love? And sometimes the truth means you need to bring correction to someone in a severe manner.
0: That's so good. Thank you so much, Brett. I, I really do appreciate just the time you spent with us today, your wisdom in that area. If you're listening right now and you just enjoyed hearing Brett, I just encourage you to go check out ChristCityChurch.ca. You can listen to different sermons there and different things like that. But you can also follow Brett on Twitter at BrettLandry.com. That's his handle there, and I'll put the link up to that on our episode podcast page. But anyways, thank you so much, Brett, and I hope to chat with you again.
1: Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. That was Pastor Brett Landry.
0: Again, the links I mentioned just a moment ago can be found on our episode podcast page. Hey, if In Doubt is a nonprofit ministry that you'd be interested in supporting, then I just have a few words for you. As you know, everything we do at In Doubt is given out for free, and that includes this weekly show you're listening to, articles every week, Bible studies, live events, and more. Uh, but it also costs us money to create them, to produce them, and to promote everything. God provides for us through generous people who give. Now, so for those of you who are regular supporters in this regard, thank you so much. And for those who would like to make a donation, simply click the Donate button at indo.ca if you live in Canada, or indout.com if you live in the States. Well, that wraps up today's episode. We hope you join us next week as we host another conversation on life and faith. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. InDoubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. Through audio programs, articles, and blogs, In reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of In visit indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any
1: amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.